Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, good morning. Who is excited for church? Come on. It's 11 a.m. You got to have some coffee. Who's excited for church? Uh, if we have not met, my name is Ali, and uh, just a, two quick announcements before we begin uh, on the screen. Uh, once a month, we do this thing called, it's our next steps class. It's called Growth Track. It's allowing you to take your next step in faith in this community. Uh, growth Track is powerful because it, not only does it tell you the vision of our church, it helps you discover your spiritual gifts, because that's when church becomes fun. The, the two best days of your life are the day you're born and the day you discover why. Growth Track is going to help you discover your why. Our second announcement real quick is next year, we have an amazing conference called Word and Spirit. We have Nathan Finocchio from Theosu. We got Russell Johnson from Seattle. It, I don't even know how these guys said yes to our church, but they said yes. Tickets go up from 50 bucks to, I, I believe, 60 in January. So by then, there are only 150 seats available. I think we've sold 13. You might get them before they sell out. And once they're sold out, we're not adding any more seats. We are in a conclusion of talks called Vision Builders. Anyone excited for Vision Builders? Uh, before we begin with prayer, let me just tell you, I normally drink coffee on Saturday nights before I do my sermon prep. Uh, I, I drink the same coffee. I'm, I'm a man of routine. Last night, I had different coffee. This is like Holy Spirit. I don't know what it was. I did not sleep last night. So I, I don't know if this is the Holy Spirit or the five Red Bulls I drank before coming up. But I, I, I'm, I'm assuming something bad's going to happen. I'm assuming I'm going to say things I don't really mean to say, or I'm, I'm going to try to say things I can't say. Uh, some of you may call that brain farts. Those are definitely going to happen this morning. Uh, so I'm going to pray. I need prayer. And then are you guys ready for God's word? Yeah. I got a good word. It's going to challenge some of you. But your faith needs it. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that what you're doing in this faith community in five short years, God, we've seen close to 300 people. God, you did it once. Would you do it again? Uh, God, our vision doesn't change when we change locations. It just accelerates the vision. I pray, Jesus, that you uh, would speak to us this morning. We came in one way, Lord, but we want to leave another. Speak to us, God. We want to talk like you. We want to love like you. We want to walk like you. And if you believe that, everybody said? Yeah. Everybody said? Yeah. Come on, it's a tradition at Bull Church. We get a little rowdy before we begin. Come on. Uh, if you follow my wife on Instagram, you will know that our family loves Disneyland. It's an acquired taste. It's difficult to love when I have to pay for four people. And it's more expensive than the hotel. And I, I, I've learned to love the food. And uh, this last November, or I'm sorry, yes, November, we surprised our girls by surprising them with Disneyland. Imagine we drove all night long. We're, we're going on vacation. We get dressed in the morning. They're in the stroller. We're like, where are we going, Dad? I'm like, just watch. And they're like, where are we? And when they see Disneyland, come on. They start screaming. You know what I'm talking about. And little kids, man, when they go to Disneyland, they like change. Like, Every other area of my life, I am dragging them to put their shoes on, to brush their teeth. to ch It's like a two-hour ordeal. For Disneyland, they're ready before me. They're like, Dad, let's hurry up. Why are you taking so long? I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's 8 o'clock. What are you talking you, You've never liked this for school. Uh, but once we get in the park, their excitement doesn't stop. They're running from ride to ride. They're, they're, they're standing. My daughter was standing in line for ice cream, even though she doesn't have a credit card. 
And that's the paradox, that the further she gets away from me, even though she's closer to the thing that she wants, she's less likely to get it. Because she doesn't have fast pass. I do. She doesn't have a credit card. I do. And if I want to give you the theme of today's talk, it's this. God has some things he wants to bless you with, but he can't because you're not with him. Because you're not with him. And every good and perfect gift comes from above. I'm going to tie that into the end. Let me go to our, our verse today. It comes from Malachi. I, the Lord, do not change. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Sometimes we think God, the Old Testament, is this angry, judgmental God, and he went, he, developed, he went through puberty, and now he's nice like Jesus. No, it's the same God. It's the same reflection. God, God, the, the wrath of God in the Old Testament was put on the cross on Jesus in the New Testament. God did not change. I, am the, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, he's talking to Christians, are not destroyed. He's saying, Christian, you think life is hard? Imagine what your life would look like if I wasn't in it. Think how much health and disaster and, and, and wreckage I am saved. Do you know how many angels I'm surrounding you with? You remember that one time you were on that trip and that car almost hit you? Do you know how, how many times I've saved your life? Imagine what life would look like if I wasn't protecting you. Let me illustrate this. I, I have a, a, a gentleman I need to come up on stage. Can we give it up for Josh for a second? In this analogy, Josh represents you guys. And this analogy, I represent God. And there are some things I give God. Let me kind of show you. This is uh, apples. This is provision. Some will say provision. provision. Some of you already are angry because not oranges. It's not about the fruit. <laughs> it's not about the fruit. It's about what it represents, that I'm giving him health. I'm giving him wealth. I'm giving him provision. I'm giving him equity, a, a business, life. These things come from above. Amen? Amen. But it doesn't stop there. The second thing I give, I give him protection. <laughs> I give him protection. And when he's under my covering, he's protected. And the question is, what did we do when God showed us all this love? Next verse, show it on the screen. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away. Someone say, turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Walk away. It's not that I don't love him. It's not that I don't want to protect him. It's that he walked away from me. It's that, it's that he, he left me. I, I'm still standing here. And some of you are like, oh, at least he has apples. Yes, but he's going to eat them and they're going to run out. Or they're going to rot. And this is the problem of humanity, that often we seek the resource instead of the source. We want what God gives and not him. We want what is, what's in his hands. We don't seek him. And... And the question is, well, what does God say to this? And look what it says. Return to me. Someone say, return to me. Return to me. And come back, Josh. And it's going to say something confusing, and I will return to you. It's not that God moved. God didn't move. He's returning his blessing. He's returning his provision. He's returning his protection. God didn't move. You and I did. And then the, the question is, this is the question that all of humanity asks. But you ask, how are we to return? This is the question that Josh is asking. This is the question that humanity is asking. I'm just going to warn you, you're not going to like the answer. Some of you, you brought a friend to church, and you're like, oh, my gosh, he doesn't normally preach on this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Relax. Relax. Look what God says. In tithes and offerings. In tithes and offerings. And often what we don't realize is that God does not want apples 
He doesn't want your money. This is not a sermon about finances. This is a sermon about first. You can hold this. And I wrote down like this. God wants to be first position in your life, and the object lesson is money. Money is the tool. The lesson is God wants to be first. Someone say first. And the way he knows that he's first in your life is the tool called money. And he instituted this thing called tithes and offerings. And let me define to you, because some of you are new to church. 60% of our faith community got saved in this church. And when you hear the word tithe, you think detergent? No, no, no. This is the word tithe. Not T-I-D-E, T-I-T-H-E. It's this. Tithing is the principle of returning. Someone say returning. Because it doesn't belong to you. you are, it's not giving the tithe. That's the key you need to realize. You're returning the tithe. The first 10% of your income through the local church. Now, let's say Josh, who represents you, has 10 apples. How many of these apples represent the tithe? Someone shout it out. Which apple, though? Mm, the best one. That's true. It's actually the first. Before he pays Hulu, before he plays Netflix, before he pays for his precious, your cell phone, before he pays for all of those things, it's the tithe. It, it, I wrote down like this. Why don't I write this down? A tithe is not a transaction. It's a confession that God's first in my life. It's a confession. God is not after your money. He doesn't care about money. Doesn't care about apples, although he, he, might, he created them, so he likes them. Does, doesn't care about oranges. God wants to be first. Amen? Can we give it up for Josh? How about the apples? How about the apples? Thank you, Josh. And there, there are really three people in this room that I, I want to speak to. The first one is you've never heard the word tithe before. And my goal after this sermon is you would leave this room excited about something you never knew about. Second person in this room is you've been a lifelong tither. I want to encourage you. What you're doing matters. What you're doing is changing your faith. Continue the good work of faith. Amen? There's a third person, though. I'm going to spend the most of my time speaking to you. You know what it is. You don't want to do it. And the attitude that you have is, I don't have to. And that's the title of my sermon on the screen. I don't have to. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't have to. Now turn to the other neighbor that you forsake and say, I don't have to. Let me tell you why that phrase is so important. Because last week, my pastor, Steve Clifford, came and spoke for me while I was in St. Louis. Thank you for letting me go preached three servers at another church. We raised $4,000 for our Vision Builders offering. Come on. But Steve said this phrase, you don't have to. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Because I wrote this sermon a month ago, and I'm going hard after that phrase. You don't have to. You don't have to. Let me, let me tell you three myths about money that you will probably wrestle with. The first one is this. Uh, the church just wants my money. That's all you ever want. That's why you, you bring it up in every service, you try to pay your bills, you have debt. We don't have any debt in Jesus' name. And the last time I preached on the tithe was 2018. I preached on generosity, giving of your life to Jesus, your time, your talent, your tithe. But, but the, the, the last time I spoke specifically on the tithe was 2018. And every year for four straight years, the offering and the giving has gone up. Come on, can we give it up for you? You're so mature. But some of you are like... I bet your pocket's fatter. Bro, your boy drives a 2010 Corolla. Chill. Relax, okay? Relax. The tithe is not something we want from you. It's something we want for you. In the same way that my girls ran ahead of me, they're in line at the ride, they're, they're in line for ice cream, they couldn't get it, though, because I wasn't there. There are some things in your life God cannot give you. I'm going to show it to you in a moment. He can't give it to you because you're not with him. Second myth is this. You might want to write this down. The church shouldn't talk about money. 
This one is crazy to me because my wife is like a workout, like fanatic right now. She's like, she looks amazing. She listens to this, this podcast. Like every day they're working out. They talk about money on this workout podcast. Why? Because our entire culture right now is talking about inflation, talking about the recession, talking about the slowing down the housing market. Why is it okay for everyone else to talk about money, but we can't talk about it at church? Why is it that every couple, the number two reason for divorce is money? I think the church should be talking about the things that the world is talking about. Churches die. Listen, they die when we start talking about things no one is asking. Which is why next year we're going to have a very controversial sermon series called Controversial Jesus. We have a sermon called, What is a Woman? Second sermon, What is a Man? Third sermon, What is Biblical Sexuality? And the fourth week, when everyone leaves, I'll preach to my wife. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. Why? Because we're going to go and talk about the things our culture is talking about. Let me tell you how often the Bible, the Bible talks about money. Two-thirds of all the the parables that Jesus mentions are about money. One in every 12 verses in the Gospels are about money. 2,300 verses in the Bible. Let me give you context. That's five times more about prayer and faith. Maybe the question is not that we talk about money. Maybe it's your attitude about money that needs to change. Billy Graham says this. says if If a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. So good. You don't have to, though. You don't have to. Myth number three. You ready? Tithing is the Old Testament law that is no longer applicable today. This is the number one pushback. And let me just break it down to you why this is nonsense. Uh, there's a, a, Many of you who are new to Christianity don't know this, but the Ten Commandments were given by a, na- a dude named Moses. But it's not just ten. It's actually 613 commandments. How, how, to, how to wear clothes, how, what food you can and cannot eat. It's literally the purpose of the law was to show the holiness and the righteousness of God. It was not meant to be obeyed because you can't obey it. In the same way that when I look in the mirror and I see I have freckles, I see I have a pimple, that's the point of the law. When I look into it, I see I'm sinful. It's not meant to be obeyed. It's meant to show your sinfulness and show your need for a Savior. This is the good news of Jesus, that he didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. He did what I couldn't do. He did what all of us failed to do, live a perfect and righteous life. That's why he died on a cross for us, fulfilling the law, because he was the perfect, sinless sacrifice. Anyone thankful for Jesus this morning? But the pushback is, and it's partially true, tithing is part of the law. But did you know what also is part of the law? Corporate prayer in Deuteronomy 28. We should stop praying in church because the law is gone. No one would say that. But yet that's the argument people make. The second argument people make is, it's part of the tithe, we should stop. Listen, tithing is a universal principle. It existed 2,000 years before Moses ever showed up. Fourth page of your Bible, a dude named Abel brought his first fruits. Why? Because he understood the principle of first. Then Abraham tithed to a dude named Mechizedek. Then his grandson Jacob tithed again to this dude named Jesus. Tithing is a universal principle. That has nothing, literally, like prayer has nothing to do with the law. Tithing is the same as sowing and reaping. There are rewards and there are consequences. Do you want to see the rewards and consequences? Look what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 9. You are under a curse. Let me help you understand. When God blesses you, 
his hands upon you, it's a blessing. But when you walk away, when you're out of his protection, it's not that God is actively doing evil. It's that it's the absence of his blessing. A, a curse is a blessing in reverse. It, it, God's not doing evil. I came out of Islam. God lies. God steals. God does evil. God of the Bible does not do evil. He will never send evil your way. A curse is the absence of his hand of blessing. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. God's not worried about payroll, by the way. Like, oh my gosh, like a tech company's got to reduce staff. One third of the angels we need to throw out that become demons. Like, this is not like God worried about making payroll. God is worried about you robbing him of glory, robbing him of acknowledgement that your, your breath, your intelligence, your height, the where you were born, what time in history you could have been born a Lakers fan. Oh my God. Can you imagine how ridiculous your life could have been? But God has blessed you with a dynasty called the Golden State Warriors. And what the point I'm trying to make is when you don't acknowledge God as first, you're robbing him of glory. You're saying you're responsible for every good and perfect thing in your life and not him. The question is, how do we put God first? How do we return to him? Malachi 3 verse 10, it says this. Bring the whole tithe. Someone say the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I get asked two questions all the time. What is the storehouse? Storehouse is God's house. It's the local church. In the Old Testament, they only had one church, so everyone tithed there. Here, you get to pick where you call church. Wherever you get fed, wherever you're learning and growing and doing life, tithe there. Second question I ask is, Pastor Ali, I have some money, but I want to give some to my parents, I want to give some to my missionary friend. I want to give some to the church. What do I do? And the Bible right here automatically tells you. Some will say whole tithe. So you give God the tithe and anything you want to give above and beyond that, that's called an offering. That's called, don't confuse charity with the tithe. The tithe belongs to Jesus. I just read an article by a guy named Scott Sauls where uh, it came out of Barna. It says that 70% of all charity in the U.S. comes from Christians. There's this lie that's propagating our culture that Christianity is bad for our culture. It's oppressive. Human flourishing happens when there's more Christians in the culture. We invented the Red Cross. We invented the, uh, uh, hospitals. Every time there is a, a movement adopting children, rescuing children, there's Christians behind that movement. Every time there's a natural disaster, 70% of the money, guess where it comes from? From Christians. If you want human flourishing... Follow Jesus. But the tithe, you don't get to pick where it goes. If you want to give to your missionary friend, God says, I love that you want to be generous because our God's a generous God. God so loved the world that he what? That means if you're following Jesus, you're going to become a giver. But it's after the tithe. It's after you give him the whole tithe that you give above and beyond. Because if you're not, what's happening is you're actually taking from God something that belongs to him. It's like when Josh walked away from me, God's saying, return to me the whole tithe. Look what it says. Look what Jesus said, or Matthew, Malachi 3 says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I'll not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. The reason it's a test is let me just acknowledge, it is hard to tithe if you've never tithed. It's scary. 
it, there's fear associated with it. You, there's a security. Am I going to lose out? Am I going to have enough? But it's also a test, not just for you, but on the character of God. This is the only time in the entire Bible that God says, test me, challenge me. I dare you. Let's see what happens. And I've been pastoring for 10 years. I've never had, never, never. They say never, say never. I'm saying never. I've never had someone come up to me and say, I regret tithing. Never happened. This doesn't mean a promise that you're going to be wealthy and rich. There's a difference between blessing and prosperity. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is not you give and God's going to give back to you. That guy, he wants $7.99 on TBN. This is not that, okay? This is give to obey. This is give because you're returning to God what belongs to him. Now watch what Jesus says, reaffirming the tithe in the New Testament. Matthew Chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you give a tenth. Someone say tenth. That's the tithe of your spices, dill, mint, dill, and cumin. Please don't bring your spikes rack to church. This is not in a great, I know you love saffron. It's super expensive. We don't, we can't use it. Bring your crypto and your stock. Don't, don't bring your spice rack. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law. Jesus is saying there's something more important than the tithe. Watch what it is. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. He's talking to professional Christians. These guys, they're not like you where you're like good for nothing. These guys were paid to be good. Their whole life was meant to obey, follow God, do everything that he said. But they weren't loving their neighbor. They weren't loving people who were far from God. They were doing religious things. Looking good on the outside. And Jesus is saying, dude, you, you've missed the point. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. If you're new to Christianity or you're exploring, Christianity doesn't make bad people good or immoral people moral. It makes dead people come alive. And it changes you from the inside out. And Jesus is saying, man, you've missed the whole point. Then watch what he says. This is the part that is so shocking to me. You should have practiced the latter, the latter being justice, mercy, and faithfulness without, someone say without, without. neglecting the former. The former is the tithe. Jesus is reaffirming. It doesn't talk about it, doesn't it? Jesus talks about it, bro. <laughs> then the apostle Paul, look what he says in 1 Corinthians 16. On the first day, someone say first day. First day. Clearly this is Sunday. This is a Jew speaking to Jews. On the first day of each week, because for 1,500 years, they worshiped God on Saturday. That was their Sabbath. And now Jesus resurrected on Sunday, so now their Sabbath has changed. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. Watch the language. In keeping with your income. The Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, is reaffirming this principle of the tithe yet again. Why? Because the local church is the hope of the world. There's no other organization that saves marriages, that breaks addictions, that gives the lost hope, that ends depression, that, that gives hurting people who are, who are wondering whether they should live. God gives them life and purpose. Only the local church. Amen? Amen. What I want to do for the next 15 minutes is speak to the people that, that are continuing to believe, you're just like a better speaker than me, Pastor Ali. You're like manipulating the scriptures. You're like really smooth with your words. You're like a TED Talk with Jesus in it. 
I still don't believe. I want to speak to those people that in your heart you're saying you don't have to. Someone say you don't have to. You're allowed to think that and believe that. But there are three things you got to acknowledge. Number one is this. Tithing puts God first in my life. It, it literally puts God. No, you're just manipulating the scriptures, Pastor Ali. Deuteronomy 14, 23. The purpose of the tithe is to teach you to always put God first in your life. I would drop the mic, but these are really expensive. <laughs> I don't, don't want to break it. How am I manipulating? It, it literally says the purpose is to teach you to put God first. Let me tell you something that's going to make some of you very uncomfortable. If God is not first in your finances, he's not first in your life. Oh, but I love Jesus. Bro, your, your checkbook says you love sushi more, apparently. Look at Jesus' own words in, in, in Matthew 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is. Someone say treasure. There your heart will be. Jesus is saying, don't tell me you love me if you're not invested in me. Because every person in this room, male or female, rich or poor, whether you're tech or labor, everyone in this room, you have a special pair of shoes in your house. That you, they're so special, you don't put them in the living room. You put them in a box, maybe in the closet, and they only come out on weddings, funerals, or something super special. And some of you ladies, the bottom of your shoe is red. I don't know what that means, but it's like a, a rare Pokemon, I think. <laughs> But it's like super expensive. Thank God my wife doesn't have those. But the point is, you treat that shoe as special, as different, as better in first place of all your shoes. And what God's saying is, I want to be like that. Why do you show your shoes more honor than me? And the way you put me first, the way you put me first in your life is the tithe. Let me make this as practical as possible. I have 10 $1 bills. Thank you, Maybelline, for giving me these. I'll give them back. <laughs> Imagine for a moment, for the sake of this conversation, these are $100 bills. It's not George Washington. It's Benjamin Franklin, okay? Let's say I make $1,000 a month, and Uncle Sam, he takes 30%. What's the tithe? What's the tithe? Shout it out to me. $1. Some of you almost said 70. Thank God you didn't embarrass yourself. This is why Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give me, give to God what belongs to God. And the whole point of the tithe is, is it's the first. It's the, that's when it, it's faith. Not after you pay your mortgage, you pay your car, you pay your Hulu, you pay your Netflix, you pay your Peacock. You know, you got all those things. Then you got your DoorDash, your Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, your Target, and then whatever's left over, you say, God, I'm going to, that's a tip. That's not a tithe. And some of you, you, when the service is good, the tip is good. Please, if you're wearing a bold t-shirt, take it off. Wear a different church's shirt. Don't, don't let them know you come here. Tie, tip good no matter where you go. Let them have a good taste of Christians in their mouth. Why is it that no one will argue that we're supposed to give 18% to a waiter, but everyone becomes a theologian, debates me as a seminary professor, the moment you want to give, no, 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 10% of God, no, 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 Pastor Ali, nerd.com, and you start giving me all these reasons why we shouldn't. What is a tip anyways? A tip is an acknowledgement that that waiter has served you and you had a pleasant experience. But how much of that meal is actually accredited and deserves, uh, deserving of him? 
How much credit should the waiter get? Because it was God who invented the chicken. Maybe some of you who don't eat chicken, maybe it was God who invented the cow. It was God who gave the chef wisdom on how to cook that food. It was God who gave the, the, the business owner entrepreneurial spirit to go get the loan to start the business. If anyone should get credit, it should be God. And the question is, why do we treat the waiter better than we do God? Because the tithe, listen, it's never about the money. It's about who's first in your life. And the same way when my daughters, she literally ran and stood in line for ice cream and then gave me that look like, I need your credit card. I'm like, no, honey, we got to go. You have to eat lunch first before we eat ice cream. She could not get what she wanted because she wasn't with me. And let me tell you, there are some things in your life, some of you think Christianity doesn't work. It's because he's not in first, God only works when he's in first place. Let me, let me define it this way. This is a, a little theology that will help you. Uh, it's on the screen. God can't. God can't tempt. Why? Because his character is that he's righteous. The devil tempts. The devil wants to tear you down. He wants to tempt you so that you are in a pit. You, you fall to sin. God tests. Tests build your faith, not tear it down. God doesn't lie. Anybody think, well, God doesn't lie. The book, number, the book of Numbers says God's not like man that he shall lie. Why? Because his character is faithfulness. That's why God has to be very careful what he says. Let there be light, and there's light. So I went in Luke, John chapter 12, when he comes to the tomb of Lazarus, he says, Lazarus, come out. Theologian says he didn't say the name Lazarus. Every dead man in that cemetery would have came out. Because when God speaks, he doesn't lie. It's going to happen. God doesn't change. Why? Because this character trait called immutability. God doesn't get old. You and I, we have to act. I'm becoming more and more loving. I'm a better husband in year nine for my wife than I was in year one. I'm growing in, God doesn't grow in love. He is love. It's his character. He does not change. God doesn't think. God never does this. It just occurred to me. He doesn't think. He already knows everything. And this is the one you need to understand. God cannot be in second because of preeminence. The Old Testament says it like this, I will not share my glory with another. And you and I as techies, we read that, I'm like, what the heck is glory? It's about preeminence, about being first, that no one's more beautiful, no one's stronger, no one's wiser, no one has more honor, awesomeness, whatever language you want, no one is, has more glory, more honor than Jesus. And if you don't put God first in your life and he, and he blesses you, what he's saying is, I'm second. And God will never allow himself to be second. And some of you in this room, I hear all the time, I tried Christianity, it's just not working. You ever drop your remote? My girls, they, they, they have no gentleness. It's like throwing it, right? And they throw on the coffee, and nine times out of ten, it hits the coffee table, and the batteries go one way, and the remote goes the other. And then my wife's like, it's broken. I'm like, honey, it's got to switch the battery. <laughs> nice try. In the same way that a remote won't work if the batteries aren't in the right place, God won't work in your life if he's not in first place. Because of preeminence, he will not allow himself to be second. He can't. But you don't have to. You don't have to. Number two, coming after you today, because I love you. Tithing keeps me involved in the vision of the church. I have this language 
Tithing is a confession that you believe in God. Vision builders is a confession you believe in this church. Which is why our goal is to have 100% participation. I want everyone, even if it's a dollar, you're saying, I'm bringing something because I believe in this church. I believe in this church. There are some of you in this room, you tithe, you give, like Freddie and Anna, thank God for them, because they're hearing from God. They want to be part of the vision of the house. Amen? But David was the first one to do this. And he came 3,000 years ago and 1,000 years before Jesus. And he said these words in 1 Chronicles 29. Moreover, this is David speaking. In addition to all that I have provided for the holy house, he brought the tithe as the king of Israel, as the spiritual leader of a nation. He modeled obedience and faithfulness. He said, I tithe. But watch what he says. I have provided for the holy house. I have a treasure of my own gold and silver. On top of that, I'm bringing more. You have no, I was a shepherd in a podunk town. And now I'm the king of Israel. God deserves all the glory. I wonder how much God has given you and how much of it you think you got. You didn't pick your parents. God did. Promotion, the Bible says, doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. You don't need to bring an offering. But David's saying, I want to. I want to be connected to what God's doing. I want to be about what God's about. I wrote it down like this. Because David understands that you cannot value what you don't invest in. And you will not care about what you don't invest in. My first car was a 1984 Bronco. It kind of looked like the one OJ was in, but a little bit smaller. It's like the one thing that like made me have joy because the car was like really small. It died in three weeks. My dad bought it for me. I don't know why he bought a, a lemon. He just painted it black so it looked new, but it died in three weeks. Then... After I graduated college, someone else gave me a 1990, this is 2005 by the way, 1990 Volkswagen Jetta. Had about 125,000 miles on it. When they gave me the car, the paint was chipping. The seats, the leather was like stripped. It had like, it was just dirty, right? And whenever I drove it, I would, I would change the oil and wash the car on the same day once a year. It was like that kind of car, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and uh, whenever my roommates and I would go somewhere, we would just like eat Taco Bell and just throw in the back, right? Because we didn't care. It was, it was that kind of car. And then something shifted. The car died, and then I had to buy a brand new car. And I remember my friend and I, my roommate and I, were driving to the gym, and after the gym, we'd go to this place, Protein Shakes, and he's like, let's go in the car. And he's like trying to open the car, and the car was locked. He's like, open the door. I'm like, no. He's like, I want to sit in the car. I'm like, you're not bringing food in my car, bro. <laughs> he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't want any food in my car. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, I thought you were going to treat this one the way you did the last one. And the reason why I treated that Jetta like it was worthless, because I didn't invest in it. And the reason why I treated that Corolla, because I, I bought it out of my own pocket. Maybe the reason why you're not excited about the 300 salvations is you're not invested in this church. There are... 10 metropolitan cities in America. Silicon Valley is one of 10 cities that has a million people. It's the only city in America that has 96 to 98% unchurched. That means 96 to 98% of this valley. You walk to Santana Road, you go to Valley Fair, you shake the hands of 100 people, 96 of them will spend eternity apart from God. 
And yet there's a church that has reached 300 people in five years. And I, my question is, why aren't you excited about that? And I'll tell you why. Because the same reason why I wasn't excited about my Jetta. Because I wasn't invested in it. This is why I love when Christians come to our church, non-believers come to our church and they get saved. It's like, it's obvious who they are, right? They come in with their arms crossed, this facing me, always angry, right? They, they, maybe a week before, they come with their Lakers jersey and then they get saved in this Warriors jersey. It's like obvious. It's like immediate change. But a new believer, they have this joy, like you, you can't buy it. They're excited about everything. Like, teach me how to read the Bible. Where do I serve? What can I do? They're like begging you to do things. And then life happens. And the first thing that I see new believers do or maturing believers, they stop giving. Not realizing it's a death sentence for your heart for the house of God. Because the moment you stop giving is the moment you're not connected to the thing that saved you. And then you stop serving. And then you stop doing groups. And then what you couldn't wait to do every Sunday morning, it's a dread to do every six weeks. Because you're not invested in it. Because you're not invested in it. You don't have to tithe. Your, your salvation's secure. But it teaches you to put God first, and it gets you connected to a life-giving church called Bold. Because I'm believing once we get in that building, I'm praying for a 1,000. I'm praying for 100 baptisms. I'm praying for, the li- I- I'm praying for multiple services, amen. I'm excited because I'm invested. I can't manufacture that investment until you obey Jesus yourself. But you don't have to. You don't have to. Number three, if I get the worship team to come up. Number three. Oh, actually, I got to do one thing. When you tithe, you move from a spectator to a participator to what God is doing through the local church. Now, I've done something privately for the last 10 years. I'm going to do it publicly for the very first time. Never done this before. Next slide. It's what's called the 90-day tithe challenge. Whenever I'm discipling a guy and their faith is stumbling, first question I ask, are you tithing? Are you watching porn is number two. Because nothing kills your faith more than what you're watching online. And nothing disconnects your faith by not giving God your money. And I always have this challenge, test God. Do it for 90 days. And if it doesn't work, I promise to give it all back. So that's what I want you to do. If you, you are not a tither. That's the challenge I want to give you. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is not, I'm trying to get your money. I want something for you. And I'm not the one that says, test me. Jesus is. He says, test me. So I want to hold up Jesus' test to you. Tithe for 90 days. And if you're not blessed, I didn't say richer. That's the prosperity gospel. If you're not blessed, I promise you, we'll give it all back. Never had one person in 10 years. I've actually never had someone regret that decision. But again, you don't have to. Last point. Last point. Tithing gives me super access to supernatural blessing. Malachi 3 verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Someone say so much blessing. 
Can we say it again? That was like, oh, so much blessing. That there will not be room to store it. See, the, the word bless in our culture has shifted. It's spiritual Kleenex now. We sneeze and we say, God bless you. But it's lost its biblical meaning. You want. You need. Listen, there is nothing better than the blessing of God. Look what it says in Proverbs 10. The Lord's blessing is our greatest wealth. It's not a good option. It's the best option. It's our greatest wealth. All our work adds nothing to it. Some of you think you need to get into that school. No, you need God's blessing. Some of you think you need connections. No, you, you need God's blessing. Some of you think if I buy a home in this zip code, if I get this job, if I get this promotion, no, no, no. You need the thing that you need more than anything because it's your greatest wealth is the blessing of God. And then it says, Second thing it says is all our work adds nothing to it. You can't find it. You can't work for it. You can't achieve it. You can't pray for it. God's a father who just gives it. But you only get it when you're under the umbrella, when you're standing with him. My daughter stood in line looking at me, Dad, I want ice cream. But she wasn't standing with me. There are some things that God will not give you unless you're with him. And often in our culture, it's, it's hard because we, when we want something, we Instacart it. When we're, when we're low on dish soap, we Amazon Prime it. And it's there the next day. Now Amazon Prime is our provider. Instacart is our Jesus. <laughs> but you have to understand, this is an agrarian culture. Israel, for 400 years, they're in Egypt. Do you know where the source of life was? The Nile River. It's where you got water. It's where you bathed. It's where you fed the crops. And when the Egyptians released Israel, they didn't go to another river. Palestine is a desert. They went from life to what seemingly looks like death. And now they needed God to show up every single day. And in the old days, they looked down to a river and now when they left Egypt, they looked up for rain. That's why in James it says, every perfect and good gift is from above. It's a spiritual principle that if you want the best gifts in life, it doesn't come from earth. It comes from above. I wrote down like this, true blessings come down. I wish we had like 50-foot ceiling, and I have someone like drop stuff from the ceiling, you know? It'd be like a great sermon illustration. Uh, five years ago, my daughter was 18 months old, and she developed some growth on her hand. As an 18-month-old, that's scary. It's our first child. We're weeks away from starting this church, and the doctors are like, this could be, he's, he didn't even, it was so scary, he didn't even want to mention the name of the word. But I knew what he was trying to say. And so we had immediate surgery, they took a little sample, and they sent it to the four best hospitals in America. Harvard, Boston, UCLA, Stanford. There was not one doctor in America that knew what that tumor was. Fast forward 90 days. 90, what I thought were going to be stressful days turn my hair white. I, they're already turning white because of some of you, but thank you. 
but it was not as stressful as I thought it would be. Because God gave me something from above that no doctor, no medicine, no surgery could give me peace that surpasses understanding. I, I may get water and supplies from Amazon, but I get something from Jesus that no one else can give me. Joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Every true blessing comes down, and it's supernatural. You can't buy it. You know, when Michael Jackson, his last six months of life, the only way he could sleep was he had to go on morphine. This is the most loved, one of the wealthiest, most celebrated celebrities could not buy peace. And if you follow Jesus, he gives it to you for free. That's what I'm talking about, supernatural blessing. It's not about your banking act going cha-ching, cha-ching. It's about you being able to rest your head when your daughter has a tumor. You having joy in church even though your life is chaotic. Let me read you this last verse. This is Exodus 13, verse 2. This is God speaking to his, his people. Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first. Someone say the first. Offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Verse 12, you are to give over to the Lord the first, someone say the first, offering of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. God's trying to teach you a lesson about first. It's not about money. It's not about apples. See, a donkey was an unclean animal. God was teaching us a, using a physical thing, but teaching us spiritual reality. The donkey was unclean, and someone needed to die for it. The truth is that you and I are unclean. You and I are sinful. Even our mother, I don't need to teach my kids to lie. They just do it. I don't need to teach them to bite. They do it. I don't need to teach them to talk back. They just do it. Because all of us are unclean. This is why when you read this verse in Colossians, it, it gives new meaning. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Someone say firstborn over all creation. You and I were unclean, and God took something else to make it clean. That's why in John 3.16 it says, for, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son. Some say only son. His first. God gave his first so that you could be forgiven. Let me give you the theological understanding. Jesus is God's tithe to bring you home. God will never ask you to do something that he himself didn't do. You being in this room, it costs something. It costs God his tithe. In the Old Testament, they would kill an innocent lamb to pay for the sin of the donkey. It was a picture of what Jesus was for us. So here's the big pithy statement to end it all. You don't have to tithe, and Jesus didn't have to die for you either. You don't have to. You don't have to. Let me pray for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you, Jesus.
that every perfect and good gift comes from above. Thank you, Lord, that you want to bless us. Thank you, Lord, for your protection and your provision. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything to deserve it. But that's what dads do. They give their kids good gifts. God, there are some of us in this room that want to return to you, Jesus. But they are overwhelmed with fear. God, help them that they can trust you because of your character. You don't tempt. You don't lie. You don't change. Allow us to trust you. Pray for those, God, that are tithers and and faithful and generous. God, encourage them. Let them not grow weary in doing good. I pray for those that, God, that maybe in their heart, they say, I don't have to, that you would challenge them enough to take that step of faith. Because the reality is, Jesus, we're going to heaven because of what you did on our cross for us. There are some of you in this room that you never knew that God left heaven because this sermon is not about money. This sermon is about first. And Hebrew says that God endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He suffered so that you could come home. He died so that you could be forgiven. And some of you, today's the day you're going to start a relationship with every eye closed and every head bowed. If you want to start a faith relationship with Jesus, the living God, no one's looking. It's not even between me and you. This is between you and the living God. His name is Jesus, and he loves you. He wants to provide for you. He wants to protect you. And long before you were born, he died on a cross so he can forgive you. And you want access to that. I want you to pray this prayer in your heart. Actually, I want everyone to pray it out loud. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. Thank you, Jesus, that you're righteous, that you're sinless, that you're perfect, yet you still died on a cross for my sin, for my selfishness. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you found this message encouraging and inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that God wants to speak to you. See you next time.